Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Ridgeview Church, like Joel said. My name's Alex. I'm the pastor here, and we're so glad that you're here to join us. Happy New Year. Ooh, that was weak. Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. It, uh, it's only the 5th. I'm like thinking it's like the end of January already. It's because I'm eating right. <laughs> it's been a long month, okay? It's been a long month. We are so glad you're here. Uh, you'll see here on the screen, um, I'm talking about Kairos. And uh, this is a series that we started a few weeks ago. I did part two uh, last week. And we're talking about biblical view of time. And most of the time, especially in this time of year, as you start like a new year, a new decade, new month, uh, you're thinking a lot about time, uh, but we tend to think of it like chronologically, like minutes and passing the time and all that we're doing in a day. Well, in, in the scriptures, uh, there's chronological time, obviously, because there's things that happen in history and God wants us to make the most of our time specifically, but time is also measured by opportunities, not just minutes and seconds and things that are on our calendar, but by the opportunities that, that he brings, things that happen in space and in time that he wants us to take advantage of. And so we're looking as a church and then also as individuals, how do we make the most of the time that we've been given? In fact, the scriptures tell us to, to redeem our time, to like buy it up. It's something that's here and God wants us to make the most out of it. But if we're not paying attention, it's easy to miss. And so most of the time when we look at time, if you look at this screen, uh, that's, that's like a clock. And you know, when, at a young age, you kind of learn how to t- tell time and there's numbers, and that's chronological. Uh, in the Bible, so much of time is this kairos, which is like this, where you see there's certain marks. And this doesn't represent like what time is it, but it's this opportunity that's here. And there's an opportunity that's here. And there's an opportunity that's here. And these opportunities most of the time are measured by God intersecting with our lives and then us intersecting with the lives of others. There's these things that happen that that God does. And God is real. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to to live according to his ways. And as we do that, we actually measure our time differently. And so there's tremendous opportunity. And so this series is about making the most of these things. And so if you have that handout, which Joel had you kind of open, uh, there is each week a message handout. And here, what I do is I put notes and I put the scriptures so you can have this as your reference. You have a pen, feel free to take notes if that's a help to you. But I wanna draw your attention to that. And then also, um, I'll be kind of walking through some things on the screen. And so uh, there's a question that we've been looking at in this series. And here's the, the main question. How do we make the best use of the opportunities before us? So for you in your life, how do you make the best use and the most of the opportunities that you have? opportunities at your job, opportunities here at church, opportunities with the resources that God's given you, opportunities with your time. Again, day in and day out, there's these opportunities. So how how do we make the most? Well, the reason or the way that we make the most is based on what's important to us. And so in this series, we're looking at how God tells time, but also what's important to God and what's important to us as a church. So we're looking at these opportunities and how we know how to make the most of them based on our values. And so values are things that guide our actions and they reveal our strengths. If you want to know what to do with your time, your life is gonna be dictated by what's important to you. That's all of us. We may not think about it, but what's important to us actually guides us. 
We do what makes sense to us. We don't do what doesn't make sense. Have you ever made a decision and you thought, why did I do that? You ever done that? Like, oh, what was I thinking? You may not have been thinking at that exact moment, but there's something in there that that made sense to you to do. And that could be frustrating. So what God wants to do is he wants to actually change our lives. He wants to kind of renew us from the inside out so the things that he values and the things that are important to him become valuable to us. And as that happens, and as that transformation takes place, we begin to make different decisions. And those decisions lead our life. And we end up going down a different path, and he ends up at this destination that's actually full of blessing, because that's the life that God has for us. So all this takes place with time, season of opportunity, and then values, what are really important. So in this series, I'm also just wanting to share the values of our church, because these are the things that are going to kind of determine what we want to make the most of. And so I want to just review those. Here's our values of our church. The first is uh, cohesive. We, we team together. One thing that we want to be true about our church is that we want to be a cohesive unit. We want to be a team. We want to move away from that pull to isolation. I talked about that last week. You know that feeling where you want to pull back from people? You want to just kind of do things your own way without the care and bother of anyone, and you tend to just shrink back and shrink back and shrink back? That's natural for us, but there's no life there. We're not meant to be isolated. And so as a church, we want to be this this cohesive unit where there's a team where people can be a part of it, and that's one of our values. So anytime there's an opportunity for us to grow as a team, for us to be cohesive, we want to make the most of that. The second value is we want to be a proactive church. That means we have a can-do attitude. And the way you become proactive is that most of the time you face difficulty, and it's in that moment that this value becomes real. Because most of the time, the reason you need a can-do is because you cannot, right? The time you need to be proactive is when you're just seeing things and you're not sure how it's going to work out. So last week, we talked about we want to be a church that embraces the unknown. And instead of fear, we want to choose faith. So anytime we face the unknown as a church, anytime we face the unknown as a person in our own life, anytime fear kind of begins to well up inside of us, there's opportunity there. It's an opportunity. Instead of shrinking back in fear, you move forward in faith. That's how God wants to tell time. So we talked about that last week, cohesive, proactive. I want to introduce you to the last two values of our church. Now, this isn't like an exhaustive list, but these are the main four. The third is this, welcoming. We want, to, we want people to feel welcome and included. If you are here today, you should all have a name tag. In fact, right before I got up to speak, I realized I didn't have one. I broke the rules. But these name tags are so everyone is on a level playing field. Everyone knows everyone. You have a name tag if you're new. Well, guess what? We're all new, potentially. We all need name tags. This is a way of us being welcoming. We want everyone who comes to feel welcome and included. I'm going to just move this a sec, Garrett. Sorry. I keep hitting that, and it keeps, like, scaring me. Okay? But we want people to feel welcome and included. That's very important. Have you ever been a part of something or come into a new situation, and you felt like the odd person? That's like junior high for me. If you guys ever just want to get like some sob stories, I can talk to you about my junior high experience in life. It's, it's great to talk about now. It was tragic then. 
that's what my life consisted of. And that, I think, happens to many people around that age. You want to be a part of a group, but you don't fit. And so you spend so much time and energy trying to figure out how you can fit and belong. What's crazy is we actually carry that into adulthood. We want to fit. We want to be liked. We want to be a part of the group. When you're a part of the group, it's great. When you battle life and when you're really struggling is when you're outside of it. And you know what? That can happen in the workplace. That can happen in neighborhoods. That can happen in family life. You ever just wondered, like, who's the favorite? And everyone really knows, but they don't talk about it. Right? That can happen in family life. And you know what? It can also happen in church. And so one of our values is we have to push against that feeling of that seclusion, and and we really want to be welcoming. So that's one of our values. That's part of our kairos. And then the last value is expansion. This is growth. We want to grow and help multiply churches and ministries. That's a value of of ours. Anytime we're in a position to grow, we want to buy that up. And that leads to being proactive. We we know it may be difficult to grow. We may know that there's barriers to grow. We may know there's things in us that are going to limit growth, but we want to push through that. And so that's where proactive and expansion kind of come together. And we know that if we're not welcoming, we can't grow. And that's where welcoming and expansion come together. And we know we can't grow unless we're teaming together. And that's where cohesiveness and expansion come together. So all of these values work together for the ultimate goal of this is we want people to come to know Jesus. And we want them to be able to follow him and enter in the adventure that he has. But we each have a part to play in that as a church, what he's building here. We each have this special component of how God has made you and how God has made me and how God has wired us together, we can make a difference to each life that we cross paths with. And so today I wanna kind of dig down deep on those last two things. How do we be welcoming and how do we focus on expansion? So the theme is this. We have to be people that build bridges and not walls. That's the overall theme. We wanna be bridge builders not wall builders. It's easy in our life to kind of build walls between people that we don't know or they don't know to know us and they're not like us. But instead, when you decide to follow Jesus, what happened is, is that God sent his son. So there's a bridge that's connected you back to him. God is the ultimate bridge builder. That's why he sent his son because our sin divided us and we're behind this wall of unrighteousness, of wrong. We're morally corrupt, each of us. So there's this wall that existed between us and God. He sent his son as the ultimate bridge builder so we, if we turn to follow him, could find forgiveness for our sins. He paid the penalty for our sins and now there's a bridge back to God. It's this bridge back to the life, here and now and to eternal life that God has. So God's the ultimate bridge builder. When you decide to follow him, you become a bridge builder as well. Now we don't have the power to save sin. That's only Jesus. But we do have the power to bridge to people in their distance, in their isolation, and he wants that to happen in in this church. So we wanna build bridges, not walls. So the first part of our Ridgeview's Kairos is this. Let's be bold in how we include others. Now, there's a theme of boldness that's kind of appeared in each week of the series, and here's what it is. Boldness is we we trust that God is gonna come through because we know that he's with us and we know that there's opportunities. Without boldness, we tend to kind of wait, but God has given us initiative and he's given us energy and he's given us gifts and he's given us strengths 
And he's given us this community where we can move with boldness to, to do what God wants us to do. And so on each of these seasons of opportunity we have, we move with boldness. And so we want to move in how we can include others with that same kind of boldness. Why is that important? Because that's actually what Jesus did. If you've spent much time reading the New Testament, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do that. But in the New Testament, you find again and again how Jesus built bridges to people in society that no one else was building bridges towards, outcasts, people with problems, prostitutes, tax collectors, people that nobody in the church or religious leaders, nobody who was anything in society would want to relate to. That Jesus knew he came to build bridges to the people that were the most lost and the most broken. And I think we live in a time, especially in the West, where we maybe can't see people in their brokenness. We have a good kind of facade that all of us place. We all kind of have our neighborhoods. We have our lives that are put together. But underneath the facade, a lot of times are cracks. There's brokenness. We just can't see it in the same way. And so Jesus wants to lead us to these broken people to help, to love, and to ultimately lead them towards Jesus. And so he was this includer. And in Matthew, that's one of the gospels about his life. And you, you find much of his te- teaching in the book of Matthew. In Matthew 5, you probably find like one of the most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And some have called it like Sermon on the Hillside, but it was this like mountainous region where people were gathered and there are hundreds and thousands of people, crowds gathered to hear this teacher, Jesus. And they'd heard that he'd healed people. They'd heard great things about him. And so many people in this whole area, all sorts of different backgrounds, wanted to hear about who this Jesus was. And where Jesus went, he gathered crowds because he spoke with power that God had given him. He spoke with authority that God had given him. And in this instance in Matthew 5, he's just giving this picture of called like the Beatitudes, like here's blessings that come to your life if you live this way. And it was very counterintuitive. He's talking about how you love people, how you find peace with people, how do you have the right values. And so he was all in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 6, He's talking about the values that determine what you do, similar to what we're doing in this series. And he's talking about loving people, and he gets to this part where he's just wanting to kind of just get them a little bit willing to look at their own maybe hypocrisy, maybe their own just staleness of who they should love. And so people are just listening to who they should love and who they should spend time with and This is what he says in in verse 46. It says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? So he's talking about all of us love people like us. All of us. But he's saying if if you do that, that's no different than anyone else. We, We all do that. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? So what he's saying is, you want to know what it's like to love people? You want to know my kingdom, what's really important? It's not just loving people like you, and it's not even just loving the people that you want to love. Or maybe loving the people that are a little bit difficult, but they're kind of like you. He's saying, you actually love your, your enemies. You love people that are the opposite of you. How much of that do you see on social media today? Right? Not a ton, Not a ton. 
And so that's just like representative of what's in most of our hearts. We want to kind of rally the people who are most like us and oppose the people who are not. And this happens in, in all aspects of life. And most of the time it happens without us even thinking. And so what, what Jesus is saying is, is here, I'm, I'm hanging out with these tax collectors. I'm hanging out with the poor. I've come so that the Gentiles, the opposite of Jews, that's all of us, anyone who's a non-Jew is a Gentile, I've come so that they may know me as well. And so he keeps expanding and expanding, and we tend to gravitate to people we know. That's normal. It's easy, and it's natural. And that's why he's saying, like, even the tax collectors, don't they do that? Even the Gentiles, don't they do that? So there's this sense of if you're just loving people like you, and staying close to the people that look like you, believe like you, you're just doing what everybody does. To follow Jesus means that you're willing to cross that gap and you're willing to build a bridge towards somebody who's different. Doesn't that kind of freak you out a little bit? Because there's just something in us. We want people to just be just like us because then it's easy. They say opposites attract. That's true, and then opposites also will drive you nuts. That's true as well. And in relationships, it's very difficult because people don't think like us. And most of the time, we want people to think like us. Not only do we want them to think like us, we want them to do what we would do. That's when a relationship's great. They did exactly what you would have done. And you're like, well done. Thank you. But it's when they do something differently. You guys know, if you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Things drive you nuts because they don't do it like you. But if you, like, blow that up and expand it, it's so easy. We just get so insulated with our, with our own thinking. And so Jesus is pushing on that. He's pushing on that. He's wanting us to be a little uncomfortable. He's wanting us to realize, like, wait, do I do that? Do I gravitate towards the people I'm most comfortable with? I tend to avoid the people that are different than me. So Jesus is wanting to get our attention. And so part of our kairos is, this is a statement, is, is we want to be welcoming. We're welcoming, and we refuse seclusion. Now, isolation and seclusion, this is how I define it. Isolation is you pull yourself away from a group. It's just you. Seclusion is you're a part of a group, and they pull away from others. So it's this group of people that's now closed, what we would call like a clique, right? This closed circle. And so as a church, one of the things that we have to continue to work towards is this welcoming, non-seclusive kind of way we live. And that is always looking at, there's people that are here that I don't know. There's people here that I don't maybe think like, I don't look like, but there's an opportunity here because of the bridge of Jesus that I can bridge to them. And so we have to kind of move away from this. And so I want to just give some practical ways that you can be welcoming. Now, this this is really like my own idea. Some of you guys, you, you, you know how to do this. Some of you, you may struggle. You know, depending on how you're wired, there may be people and just when you see people you don't know, you just start to get a little antsy. Is that anyone? You don't have to raise your hand, but... Just kind of wiggle your ear like, that's me. So, you know, some of this is personality. So it's not just be an extrovert. 
but it is, you're always looking for an opportunity to be a bridge. And so you can do that. If you're an introvert and you have a hard time with groups of people, there is somebody that's over here that is, you know, isolated that you can be a bridge towards. And that group of one now becomes two. And you've just been welcoming. If you're an extrovert and you're like, I don't know what you're even talking about, Alex. This is my wheelhouse. I love everybody. Then what you need to do is you need to welcome people and then introduce them to your introverted friends. And then leave them alone and let them talk. Okay, you get what I'm saying? That's this welcoming. So here's some practical ways. Uh, We have something here at church called the five-minute rule. What this is is after church, for the first five minutes... Don't talk to anyone that you know. I'm just going to be quiet for five minutes after I said that. <laughs> but right, like just don't talk to anyone you don't. Well, well, Alex, what if I know everyone? Then take five minutes to talk to the person that you know the least. And then just kind of move, move there. But there's a sense in which when church is over, it's opportunity. How do we welcome people? How do we bridge towards them? Most of the time, I'm thinking, how do I get coffee? How do I get my kids? Do you know the kids zone, they know about the five-minute rule. So if you stay extra five minutes after church, they already know about that. Now, I'm working on not speaking so long so that doesn't dork it all up. (laughs) I'm the worst at the schedule. But that five-minute rule is a way as a church we could practically say, you know what? We need to be welcoming and I need to meet somebody that, that I do not know. Or I need to engage with somebody that I just don't know that well. That is building a bridge, and that actually can give life to somebody. Here's another practical thing. Smile. Isn't that, you know what's crazy about that, though? I think we forget to smile sometimes. Do you ever enter in a situation, especially something that it's unknown? You often don't think smile. You're thinking calculating. Where am I supposed to? go? What am I supposed to do? Especially as a church, it's overwhelming. You don't know what to do. And so for those of us that are part of Ridgeview, one of the things you can do is when you smile, you're like, I'm glad you're here. Do you know that's what it communicates? I'm so glad you're here. And then if you actually verbalize words, that's even better. Smile. I'm glad you're here. How are you? Would you like some coffee? You know, it's just that like kind of being welcoming. That's just part of it. So the five-minute rule and then smile. And then the, the, the next practical thing is three I's. Initiate, introduce, include. We talked about this last week. We want to be a church that we are the initiators. We don't wait for people to initiate with us. We initiate with them. And then part of that is introduce. If you're connecting with somebody and you've just met them, introduce them to somebody else. Now, doesn't this kind of feel kind of weird talking about this? But I want to give practical because sometimes things become just like ideas. Like, yeah, we need to be welcoming, but what does that actually mean for what I do with my time? And that's what it's about, like this kairos. There's opportunity. There's somebody that could come that you've never met before that are going through something at this church, and God wants your path to cross with their path at this certain time. You don't know it. And the only way you'll know it is if you initiate. And if you introduce, you introduce yourself, and then you introduce them to others. And then the, the, last is, the last is just to include. If you're doing something, include somebody to come with you. So if you go to lunch after church, ask somebody to come. 
Could you invite somebody that came to church for the first time to lunch? Yes. You're just going to say, no, get out of here, you crazy person. That's right, our, our biggest fear. For the most part, they're not going to say that. They're going to think, oh, that was kind of them. They were bridging. They were welcoming. That, that's a really important value. For me, one of the biggest things I see in just the Christian world, especially as people are trying to reach people who are not Christians, is that people don't see the bridges. They just see the walls. And so we want to be a church that we, we tear those down. We want to do this. We want to initiate. We want to introduce. We want to include. We want to take time to welcome. We want to smile. And we want to actually engage with people. That's how we, we make a difference. So speaking of bridging, our last value expansion is, is the same thing. So we want to be a welcoming church. The way we're a welcoming church is that we have to be welcoming people. Anytime the church wants to be a certain thing, it means that's what we are as a group. Just because it's written, it doesn't mean it happens. It happens in the lives of people. And so the last thing is this idea of, of expansion. So let's be bold as we invest and as we invite. I already talked about Jesus' role that he bridged to us. God sent him. He died on the cross for us. He paid the penalty for our sin, that separation, and he bridged us back. Well, there's so many people that are inside, overwhelmed by their sin, by the things that they've done wrong, by their shame, by their regret, by guilt, and they don't talk about it. They don't know how to verbalize it. They don't even know what to do with it. But people are overwhelmed with this sense of shame that they they don't know what to do. And they have no direction in life. I mean, they're doing things. They don't have a sense of just this this adventure that God wants to call them in. Because they're beating themselves up. And so part of the role that we have, if you're a Christ follower and you've decided to follow Jesus, you have a role to bridge people to the grace of God. If you've received the grace of God and Jesus has saved you, you have a responsibility to be the bridge so other people can experience that as well. You can't force that. You can't manipulate that. But you can be a bridge. And God does the heavy lifting and God does the rest. Uh, One of the writers in the New Testament talked about Jesus. He obviously is the main theme of the whole scripture. But there's a writer of the New Testament who wrote about two-thirds of it called Paul. And God got a hold of his life, changed the direction of his life. And he went from persecuting Christians to trying to squelch the Christian movement to becoming someone who planted churches, trained people in what it means to follow Jesus. And so there's so many books in the New Testament that are about his life and about the church and about how we're supposed to live. He wrote it in history right after Jesus you know, came and crucified in the early church. But those same principles are, are the same for us today. And this is the statement of his life, which is really inspiring to me. He says, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul had done, before he was a Christian, things that Jews would only dream of. He was the most educated, the most respected, and he actually gave that all up to follow Jesus. 
He paid a price. Then, in the Christian world, he became the most influential. He was an authority. God was using him. People were changing. Churches were being built. It was the beginning of the Christian movement. We're here because of what God did back then. And Paul was in the middle of all that. But notice what he points to as the most important. But my work, my life, my energy, my purpose is worth nothing unless it's connected to telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Why is it wonderful? Because it means that you you don't have to spend the rest of your life trying to earn God's favor. The guilt, the shame, the pain. As you turn to Jesus, you realize there's nothing I can do can't earn it. I can't lose it. It's only by the grace of God and his power and the work that he does that that I can be whole. And so when it's not actually connected to your own work, there is just this, this kind of burden that gets lifted. It's not about what you can do. Jesus has already done it. And it's wonderful because the price has been paid. And so you don't have to beat yourself up anymore don't have to make yourself feel bad anymore. You don't have to be guilt-laden and just overwhelmed anymore because the wonderful grace of God is given to us. And so this was Paul's life, life's purpose. And if you're a follower of Christ, it's actually your life's purpose as well. To all of us, to become a follower of Christ means I'm always looking for opportunities to connect people back to the wonderful grace of God. 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And so he's just giving this picture. What I'm focusing on is not me, my own agenda, my own movement. I want to preach Jesus. He's the most important thing. And as I preach Jesus and as I lay my life down, I become a servant. I'll do whatever is needed to help people discover Jesus Christ's plan for them and to find forgiveness and find the grace. And so our Kairos related to this is we're expanding and we refuse to be silent. What do we want to not be silent about? The wonderful grace of God. It's interesting. We live in a time now where actually for the most part, we're not silenced by others. That's starting to creep in to our country, like a silencing of what you can or cannot do or say for those who follow Christ. But for the most part, we silence ourselves. So when I say refusing to be silent, most of the time it's not external on us, it's internal. We tend to just, you know, I'll do whatever I'll do, they'll do whatever they'll do, and hopefully it'll work out. Well, Jesus, no, these people are lost on a life raft in an ocean that's crashing down on them and they want to know how to be rescued. And we have the rescue boat and driving that boat is Jesus and he leads us back to God. And so we have this this opportunity to be a part, to rise and stand and to not be passive. You never know what God is doing in the lives of people. You never know what people are longing for. 
until you share with them the wonderful grace of God. And so as a church, the, uh, the, the slide before that, if you could go back, it says, um, sorry, the one before that, the one before that, one more. Okay, it's not there. Never mind. Go back. We're doing a little tap dance together. Uh, but the, the idea of that we're not silent by this, this strategy, and that's investing and inviting. So I just want to talk a little bit about what it means to invest and invite. I worked at like a popular uh, coffee shop years ago when I was getting my teaching credential. I was a teacher before I was a pastor. And when I was getting my credential, I, I worked at this coffee shop, and they had this kind of this strategy for getting to know customers, and it's, and it's three-prong. First is connect, discover, and then respond. And I think the same is true for how we actually invest in people. Uh, we have to connect with them. You take that initiative, you introduce, and you include. That's part of that welcoming. That's connecting. And then discover is, is you, you get to know people. You ask questions. You find out what's going on in their life. If you ask questions and you listen to people, you're already in a very small percentage of social interaction today. The art of listening has been lost. The art of asking questions has been lost. If you do that and you want to discover people and who they are, you're actually loving them. Now, for some, it's like, hey, can you stop asking questions? It can freak them out. So you have to take the right pace in that. It can be overwhelming because we're not used to that. Again, we're secluded, we're isolated. But if you can connect and then discover, you, you get to know them, you ask questions, you actually can build trust. And then the last is to respond. You can serve them, and then you can explain how the things that they really need, the things that they really long for, are found in following Jesus. But you can only explain that if you've connected to them. And you can only explain that if you've discovered who they are and what's going on in their life. If you're a Christ follower, that's how you invest. I want to connect with people. I want to discover who they are. Then I want to respond with the truth of how life is found in Jesus. So our kairos is I want to invest in those around me, and I want to invite them into my life. I want to invest in those around me and invite them into my life. There are people that God's placed in your life for this specific reason, for you to share the difference that Jesus has made. They're not connected to anyone else that's going to do that except you, potentially. So there's this awesome opportunity. Talk about that season, that kairos that God has to be a part of telling people about the wonderful grace of God. Now, for some, both of these can kind of freak you out. I'm basically saying, like, get out of your comfort zone, right? How many of you like to be comfortable? You didn't want to raise your hand because that makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not, just let me keep my hand down, right? But we like to be comfortable, and we like to do things that's convenient. Did you know to follow Christ, you have to leave comfort and convenience? That's the cost. You have to leave what's comfortable to us because God's called us beyond that. We could be comfortable. We can miss out on God's best for us because he wants us to be these bridge builders, not wall makers. So here's some practical ways 
that you can invest and invite. Invite unchurched friends and family to Ridgeview and Ridgeview events. Um, the step before this is actually focus on just connecting, discovering, and responding to people in your life, at your workplace, in your neighborhood, where you frequent. Just decide if there's a place that you go and you've seen somebody lots of times and you've said hi and they've said hi to you, take the next step. How could I ask a question to get to know them a little bit more? How can I build that bridge? And so connect, discover, respond. That may happen for months before you'd ever invite them to church. But we had a hike yesterday at church. It wasn't at church. We weren't hiking like, oh, this is a, these stairs are strenuous. No, it was actually at a hike. As a church, we went. But people came that, that aren't a part of this church. And that is a Kairos opportunity. It's a season where we had people that have never been in this church that came on this hike. And so we do events like this. We call them meetups. We have big events where we want to include people because we want this to happen, the connecting, the discovering, and the responding. So you want to do that, then you want to invite, and then the the next thing is pray for opportunities to share your faith. That is the difference maker. If you pray for opportunities, opportunities will come. I've experienced that in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of so many. If you pray, opportunities come. Speaking of making a difference, the last next step, a practical way, is attend the Difference Maker Workshop. We're going to have a workshop on January 22nd. It's a Wednesday night. And if you're interested in learning more about how to make a difference in the lives of people that you interact with, we're going to have this workshop that just gives you practical tools to how to do this. It's difficult to communicate this in like one sermon because there's a lot of things we have to deal with, like our own fear, just the how, the why, all that. But if you're interested, I strongly encourage you to attend this. So if you'd like to attend on the the sign me up, just write Difference Maker, and I'll send you details about that. What we're going to go over is, is how do I bridge to people? And then how do I actually share the difference that Jesus has made in my life? And then how do I communicate what the Bible says about beginning a relationship with Jesus? All those things, if you've grown up in church, all those things are probably swirling around. But when it comes to actually communicating to people, do you ever feel like it's going to be like, but that, but that, that, Christian, me, that? Was that kind of Elmer Fudd? That was a little bit Elmer Fudd-like. Is that right? But that, but that, is that Elmer Fudd? Okay. Sometimes I think out loud in front of everybody. That was one of those times. But, but there's so much that's swirling, and so this is just a way, here, here's, here's just some practical ways to, to begin to do that. So, so far, as you've noticed, I'm talking to Ridgeview people about our opportunities within Ridgeview. And then kind of even closer to that, I'm talking to people who've decided to follow Christ. There's this whole category of if you have never experienced the wonderful grace of God that I'm talking about, if you've never decided to follow Jesus and surrender your whole life to him, you can do that today. What I'm talking about is the people who've already done this, but it's this picture of the life that he calls you to. But like Paul said, we've missed the boat as a church if we have not given an opportunity for people to respond to the wonderful grace of God. 
And so as I've been talking, if there's things in your life where you think that's me and I'm overwhelmed with that guilt and I'm overwhelmed with that shame and you just sense that you've been trying to earn God's favor or just trying to run from him, today could be a day where you could change the rest of your life and you could decide to follow Jesus for the first time. It is something that happens in time. And it's an opportunity that God has where he's prepared you for this moment where you can respond and say, I want the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ. And so there's a place on your connection card. It says, send me info about, and it's following Jesus. And so mark that. Or come talk to me after the service, and I'd love to just walk you through what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And you can decide to do that today. So I encourage you with all these things that I'm talking about, that's the most important step that you can make. And so I wanna invite the band next up. And as I do that, I'm gonna just walk through some next steps. I've given you already some practical things, but I just kind of want to summarize those. Go ahead and finish the connection card that Joel had you fill out. If everyone can do that, just kind of finish real quick. We're going to receive the offering, and you can drop that connection card in there uh, when the offering uh, comes by. Uh, Here's the first next step. Look for ways to initiate, introduce, include in January, just this next month. And so one thing you do on the next step part, if you go back to that connection card, Right here on the next step, you could just write, okay, I need to really focus on initiating. So just write initiate, or I need to focus on including. And so just write include. The reason I'm encouraging you to do that is is I actually want to pray for you this week as you take that next step. And so whatever you write on there, I'm I'm going to pray for you. And so look for ways to do that. Uh, The second next step is to invite somebody to Life Hacks next week, as Joel talked about. In the Bible, there's these attitudes, the attitudes of success. These are you know, this framework and this approach to life that if you choose over time, you'll experience success. They're not necessarily American values. They're not Western values. They're not, again, comfortable values or convenient, but they're biblical. And so in this series, Life Hacks, we're gonna talk about these attitudes that lead to success as you choose them. And I think this will be a real encouragement to people even if they're not a Christian, even they're not a part of church. In fact, that's who we want to invite. And so that's why we have that flyer for you to invite somebody. We're gonna have donuts. It's gonna be a great time next week. And so invite somebody to that. Write their name on there and I'll pray for them. And then the last is to attend the the Difference Maker workshop on January 22nd. So just write Difference Maker if you haven't yet. I'd love to see you at that. I think it's gonna be a really great time together. If I've not met you before, Speaking of welcoming, I would love to meet you. And so I'm gonna be by the info table at the back as the service concludes. I'm gonna pray. We're gonna sing another song and then receive our offering. And we're so glad that that you've been here to worship with us. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being the ultimate bridge builder who tore down the walls of our sin and of our own self-effort. And through your son, Jesus, we can connect back to you. And so you are the ultimate initiator and you've introduced Jesus to us and you've included us in your plan. And we get to be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We praise your name. We honor you for giving us grace and a new purpose. So in this new year, God, help us to buy the opportunities that you have for us as individuals And help us as a church to buy up the opportunities that we have right now to be a cohesive team, to be proactive and choose faith, to be welcoming 
and including of others, and to expand and to grow and to share our faith. If there's anyone here that's never decided to follow you, God, will you just move in their heart right now and they'll respond to follow you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.